All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking into my phone again, and that can only mean one thing. Well, first off, maybe it means that I went crazy. Probably not. Or second, probably means the Dane and Nick podcast is back. So we're going to go with that. And this week, we'll be breaking down the Utah Youth Spring football preview. So real quick off the top, real quick, Tyler Huntley's gone. Zach Moss is gone. Bradley Anai is gone. Jalen Johnson is gone. Francis Bernard is gone. Terrell Burgess is gone. Lee Kai Fotu is gone. My freaking goodness. The Utes have a lot to kind of prepare for this year. Should be real interesting, but that's what Dan and I are here for to give you some information regarding this year's team. So this is part five of a 12-part segment. As mentioned at the top, we'll be breaking down the Utah Utes this week. We're covering each team in the Pac-12 over a 12-week span here. So, yes, yeah, the Utes sign this week. So really quickly, I'm going to hop into Utah Utes' previous season last year. And the, I may not get too favorable of responses from kind of Utah fans. I was predicting them to do a lot more last year. And looking at their schedule top to bottom, as good as they were, as talented as they were, as impressive as it is that they made the Pac-12 championship, I just don't see really many impressive wins on their schedule last year. And so we'll look at it as a whole, though. They're 11-3 overall, 8-1 in conference, lost to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, and then followed that up with a loss in the Alamo Bowl, getting absolutely shiggity shiggity schwapped by Texas, losing by 28 points. So... Again, look at their schedule. They started off hot, had went 3-0 against teams they should have beat. Then they lost at USC, and USC had a third-string quarterback. We'll just leave it at that. Again, beat a bunch of teams they probably should have beat. Then one game I kind of want to highlight here is they went to Seattle and beat the Huskies. Um, yeah, they beat the Huskies in Seattle. But I felt like they got outplayed. I felt like they were not the better team. If Jacob Eason, UW's quarterback, hadn't thrown an egregious pick six to Jalen Johnson, then this game probably would have had a different outcome. So, yeah, the Utes won, but did they wow or look like the better team? Not really. Again, breaking down their schedule, then got schlacked by Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, and then got schlacked by Texas in the Alamo Bowl. So, looking at their schedule, there's is there even an impressive win here? I mean, you got you got to give them the UW one. I like that ASU victory, the 21-3. I thought that was impressive. The win against WSU was impressive. I'll give them that. So the win against WSU beating the Cougs handily and beating ASU handily, we'll give them those two. But I expected more of them as a whole. Utah may not be as good as they appear on paper. So I just want to say that first and foremost. Let me pull my notes back up here. So as always, this is the Dane and Nick show. Our whole agenda here is to get you in and out with some quick water cooler information. We will take a deep dives on the facts, but... Again, it's a quick podcast, no more than 20 minutes. You got a life, I got a life, Dane's got a life, our publisher's got a life. Excuse me, y'all got lives, uh, proper English there. So again, quick information, and we'll do our thing to get, you know, we'll just do our thing to let you get on with your day. So my preview for the Utes this year, in the closing segment of this podcast, Dane will break down their schedules in its entirety. But for me, as I mentioned at the top, and this is worth reiterating, Seriously, Tyler Huntley's gone, their quarterback. Zach Moss is gone, their quarterback. Bradley Anai is gone, great defensive player. Jalen Johnson is gone. Francis Bernard is gone. Terrell Burgess is gone. And Lekai Fotu is gone. That is a lot of freaking talent to make up for. And based off the fact that the Utes couldn't really beat anyone last year, it 
I don't, I don't know how this year is going to go, but I will take a deeper dive into the details. And with that, keep you, I'll keep you on a shoestring here. I'll send it down to Dane in Tucson. And Dane is always the man. What's popping off in Tucson? From Seattle to, down to AZ, let's get it started. Thanks, Nick. Another week out here in Tucson surviving. And this week we've got the NFL draft, so that's at least something sports-related on TV. That'll be live and not all these replays that we've been having, you know, but yeah, you know, uh, as Nick mentioned in the intro here, uh, the Utes lost a lot of production on offense, especially. Uh, and so that's going to be tough to overcome, but, uh, personally, I don't doubt Whittingham's ability to not only coach, but recruit. Um, they consistently bring in uh, French top 25 classes around, you know, 30th in the nation each year or so, and they are consistently good. So um, that leads me to believe that Whittingham coaches up his players. He actually develops them over time, uh, which is somewhat unique for a college coach. Uh, a lot of the guys these days just rely on recruiting. So the fact that he's able to bring in those types of recruiting classes and have the success he does makes me um, hesitant to doubt um, their upcoming season because they're recruiting on the same level and so just because they lost some production um, they most definitely have guys uh, you know behind them who are ready to step in and fulfill those roles so uh, in my uh, closing segment I'll be breaking down their schedule which looks um somewhat favorable uh two home games they have that'll be tough um other than that um it's looking uh pretty favorable uh but i'll go ahead and throw it back up to nick in seattle and he'll give you some good information about this year's team Okay, guys, so this is my portion of the podcast where I take a deeper dive into the concerns around Salt Lake, around the program, and really just looking at a, the whole situation in, in a deeper depth here. So first and foremost, they're going to have to replace Tyler Huntley. Huntley, if you're not a Utah fan, very consistent, solid starter, probably not an NFL-type talent, but just a very, very solid, consistent quarterback at the college level. He also offered a dual-threat option, which is always a plus. So he's gone. Deuces, so we're moving on here. Now we're going to talk about the quarterback battle in the upcoming season, and that's going to be between going to be between redshirt sophomore Cameron Rising or graduate transfer Jake Bentley. Who's going to has the I guess favor? Who has the early season advantage is still unclear. I'll let you decide that. Well, actually, Kyle Whittingham will decide that. But there are some quick facts we can throw at you. So Jake Bentley threw for seven thousand five hundred twenty-seven yards and 55 touchdowns over four years at South Carolina. He had 33 starts under his belt for the Gamecocks. So, I mean, the man started 33 games in the SEC. That speaks for itself. He should be ready to go. <laughs> I mean, facts. But the other guy is going to be uh, Jake Bentley, or excuse me here, is going to be Cameron Rising. And Rising ran the scout team last year as the youth's quarterback, and he impressed coaches and his players with his mobility and throwing ability. That quote is from Athlon Sports. And a lot of this information is going to be from AthlonSports.com and the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm putting in my own words, but got to give them the proper love because those are the articles I read. 
So again here, if you're looking for a clear-cut option, that probably isn't going to be decided until the season. Literally, you have two really good candidates for the quarterback, and that's all we can leave it at right now. For me, if I had to make a preference, I'd say Jake Bentley. I mean, the dude has 33 starts under his belt in the SEC. That speaks for itself. That's invaluable experience. I understand that Bentley, that, um, I just love confusing those two names. I love that Rising does have a year of experience in the system, but to me, that's over. That's overhyped. It's not like Utah's system is something super crazy or super complicated. They run a power run scheme for the most part. So again, they'll have to f- replace Tyler Huntley with one of those two options. As we go down, now they have to replace running back Zach Moss. Uh, that's 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 darn near impossible. The man, let me find the stats here. The man ran for 1,416 yards and 15 touchdowns last year. But more than that is the physicality and, and intimidation he brings to other teams. No matter how tough football players are trying to act, you're not trying to tackle Zach Moss. I'm sure, I sure as heck ain't. That guy's a freaking beast. And he's gone. And that's that level of physicality, the one player that elite defenses in the Pac-12 had to fear. Doesn't matter if you're a five-star recruit, 18-star recruit. You ain't trying to tackle Zach Moss. So who, who do they have to replace him? It's going to be between, let me see here. We got Brumfield and Wilmore. Let me get you their full names. Okay, I don't have their full names. Sorry, y'all. So essentially, you got Brumfield and Wilmore. Going to be the two options at your at essentially new starting halfbacks. And they don't really have enough of a statistical information that I consider it noteworthy. You can go research that yourself. But they essentially both didn't do much. The one takeaway for me and why I'd give Brumfield the nod is the fact that he had nine catches out of the backfield last year. And I think that's very vital to be a dual threat option, especially considering the Utes really don't have a lot of weapons on the offensive side of the ball. That's a, that could be the nod for me. So I would say Brumfield's got to be the guy. But again, just looking at the picture in its entirety, replacing a Tyler Huntley and Zach Moss, I mean, that's, that's not easy, man. I don't, I don't care who you are. You can't just replace talent like that. The one thing that a lot of, I think maybe analysts around the country, they're talking about all the returning receivers at Utah. Utah fans, you're just really probably not going to like me today. Again, I don't really see much. Yeah, they do have returning options, but these guys aren't like that good, to be quite frank. Brant Keithy, a tight end, I do like him. I think he's their one real threat. 602 yards last year, six touchdowns, 34 catches. He got really hot to end the year last year. Someone had to with those terrible losses. <laughs> just saying. But uh, he's going to be that guy, but again, he doesn't offer that next level dual like elite speed. So it's not like defenses are gonna have to plan around him. He'll be consistent first downs, hard to tackle once he catches the ball, that sort of thing. Probably a good blocker. Utah's always a well coached on the Kyle Whittingham. But in terms of elite game breaking speed, I just don't see it. They do return Britton Covey from an ACL injury. He played four games last year. He actually tore his um ACL in the Pac-12 championship back in 2018. Tried to come back last season, but good for him in the program that they decided to let him rest up, take the year off, come back full healthy. You know, there may be some brighter, there may, there may be some professional football in the future. That's what people may think. I still don't think he's that good. <laughs> I just don't see it. I mean, for maybe for Utah receivers, he's good. But if you're talking like around the Pac-12, you're talking like a Michael Pittman Jr. last year, LaVisca Schnault last year, like a real game-breaking receiver. No, let's be, let's be honest, just no. But that's just facts. He could be a dangerous punt returner. And Brian Thompson is another wideout who could be a big play threat. But again, for me, 
I don't see a lot the quarterback position. I don't see a lot at the halfback position. And I don't see a lot at the receiver position. So I think Utah's offense is really going to struggle, bottom line. And the offensive line, they have some experience, but they were not mentioned in either article, which tells me there's <laughs> we're trying to be nice here. There's probably, there's probably some experience, but there's no major names that stand out or anything like that. So offensively, they're pretty depleted, to be plain and simple. Or to be quite frank, jiffy, jiffy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that was all about, but I, I'm, I like it. I'm rolling with it. So on the defensive side of the ball, which where the Utes are always well known, Utah's replacing five secondary players, man. Five secondary players. And this is a team who got carved by a third-string quarterback last year. <laughs> like, I just don't see it for the Utes this year. I think you're getting where I'm going with this. Just how are you going to have no secondary, a very, very inexperienced offense, and expect to compete for the conference title? Do I think they can play 500 ball? Yes, I do, but just not that elite team anymore. I'm just sorry, man. Just That's just facts. So again, looking at their secondary, they do have the highest rated recruit in uh, Utah freshman history in Clark Phillips III. He's going to be a cornerback most likely, and he's going to have to emerge as the leader. So a couple other names to consider is RJ Hubert's safety coming off the injury, and Vontae Davis does have some experience, but is still unknown. So again, you're depending on a freshman to essentially lead the secondary. The one positive I will say is that he could um, he could be a lockdown corner. There's, I mean, that could happen. He's a very high recruit, and if they can find one other secondary piece around him to have two guys in the back end, it would truly be helpful because one ain't going to cut it in the back 12. At linebackers, they're returning Devin Lloyd, one of the few returning starters on the defense. He led the U to 91 tackles last year, 11 tackles for loss, and 6.5 sacks. So that's very impressive. And the D-line remains a bit of a mystery, but I would find it hard to bet against them, to be quite frank. Um, they all, Kyle Whittingham always has good defensive lines. Bradley and I and Lekai Fotu are gone to the NFL. Two stellar standouts, two absolute studs. So replacing them will be tough. But I'm going to say that Utah finds a D-line. And I'm going to say that their front seven the linebackers are going to somehow come together. I don't see it in the secondary. I just don't see it. So we're talking about as a whole in its entirety in its big picture in a big slamma, bamma, boom, bang, bob. That's all I got. I don't know why I said that's all I got. But to summarize, in all seriousness, I don't see Utah having an offense to really threaten Pac-12 teams. Their defense should be weak in the secondary. They should have a solid front seven, but not as solid as previous seasons. So I'm predicting maybe a 6-5, and 7-5, and 8-5 and five type year. And along those lines, nothing terrible. Nothing spectacular. I think the main thing for Utah is to just kind of cruise this year. Don't take a huge plunge down to the bottom of the conference. And then you can keep building your program in the previous years to come. Dane will break down the schedule in its entirety after this. And I am out from C-Town. Thanks for listening. And yeah, you know what? Just stay healthy, people. I love you. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Do your thing. Drink a beer. Do a dance. Bust a move. Adios. All right, good stuff from Nick as always. And so to finish off this episode, we're going to break down the youth schedule for this season coming up. So they open up the year um, at home against BYU. So that rivalry game, you know, is very historic and heated. So that's going to be a fantastic game to watch just as a neutral observer. So it's a Thursday night game. Uh, it's going to be competitive. That's going to be close. 
and um, I'm expecting Utah to win that one, but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost. Um, they followed up with a game against Montana State, which I guess the Division II school is automatic W. Then they go to Wyoming. So this game at Wyoming is not an automatic W. Depending on how you know well Utah turns out next season, um, this game could be closer than expected. Wyoming is not a terrible team. They're not good or great. But um, they're not terrible, so that's a game that, uh, not an automatic W, though it's expected victory. It's the fact that it's there at Wyoming. Interesting scheduling choice by the Utes. Um, and then they open up conference play at California, and Cal's going to be good this season, so this game here against California, I might I might pick the, the Bears to win that one. Um, so you never really know, though. So... Potentially, I guess you could start off two and two, which wouldn't be good. But there's also the potential to start off at four and zero, oh, so it's really an unknown factor what you're going to get. And then you have a game against USC on a Friday night, and that's in Salt Lake City, so that'll be a fantastic game. Uh, Utah got that victory last year, so the Trojans will be seeking revenge, and you probably think that the Trojans win that one. And then um, the Utes go to Washington State, which is kind of a toss-up, but I would pick Utah on that one. Uh, and then they host Washington. Um, so this is a rematch of that great game last year in Seattle. Uh, it should be another good one here in Salt Lake City. I'm going to go ahead and give the edge to Utah on that one. Uh, I, I think they get it done at home in that altitude. And then they go to UCLA. Uh, winnable game, though it's unclear how much of a step forward UCLA is going to take this season. And if UCLA is um, living up to some people's expectations, um, I would probably pick the Bruins to win that one, but that's too far out to really know um, how that one's going to end up, so we'll call that a 50-50 chance either way. And they host Arizona, it's probably a win. And they host Oregon State, again, that's a win. And they go to Arizona State and Tempe. Um, this is going to be a really hotly contested game, close matchup. I would probably give the edge to Arizona State, but if Utah plays well, they could probably win that one. And then they finish the year off at Colorado, so it's a rivalry matchup. And I would expect Utah to win that one. So just based on that, um, you're looking at like a mid mid-range sort of year, like a transition period. Um, I would certainly expect a bowl game, and the game against BYU really is going to, it could change the whole season. That first game, if you win the first game, um, your season is looking a lot different. If you lose that game against BYU, and then you kind of struggle against Wyoming, um, that game at California um, is really going to be important, because if you lose to California, and you also lose to USC, you could have a losing record in the middle of the season. Um, going to Washington State. So that's, um, you know, it's really up in the air and it's hard to tell. The back end of their schedule looks much easier. Um, so beginning with Arizona and Oregon State and um, Colorado at the end of the year like that, that's a much more favorable time of the of the year. So uh, when it comes down to it, I would expect a bowl game, no doubt. Just depends on the quality of the bowl game. Um couldn't they compete for a Pac-12 South championship? Yes, but um, they're going to need to, uh, you know, take a big step forward here in the middle of the season. They can't have any slip-ups at the beginning of the year. So um, without knowing really 
um, the offensive quality that they're that the Utes are going to have. It's hard to predict where they're going to finish. Though, um, as I said, I'm expecting a bowl game and um, at least the possibility to compete in the South. And uh, in the end, they probably finished third in the South behind USC and Arizona State.